Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the BitCast. A while ago, I did an episode on ukulele. I compared it to Banjo-Kazooie, and I briefly mentioned A Hat in Time, saying that it was a 3D platformer, and a good one at that. I said that it was getting received well by the gamer community at large. And ever since that episode, I've actually been able to play the game for myself, all thanks to a friend of mine helping me buy it off Steam. And I'll tell you now, the hype is justified. The game was developed by Gears for Breakfast, and if you look at their Kickstarter page for the game, they talk about how A Hat in Time was inspired by games from the 90s, your Super Mario 64s, your Banjo-Kazooie's, those kinds of games. Kind of an old rhetoric by now, those are the games that people seem to be most nostalgic for, the games of the N64 era. They talk about how they want to recreate the magic of those kinds of games, and to be truthful with you, I can see it. Ever since Super Mario Galaxy 2 in 2010, I can't think of any notable 3D platformers. And even then, Galaxy 1 and 2 were rather linear compared to the 64 games and Super Mario Sunshine for Nintendo GameCube. So games like this and Ukulele and Mario Odyssey, they all came out when 3D platformers were a little scarce. The whole situation is even more interesting after the shortcomings of ukulele. Some would argue that ukulele reminded people why the genre died, but a hat in time proves that it can still be done right, and you don't have to be Mario to do it. Everything started when a guy named Jonas Karlev tried to make his own game after he dabbled in game modding for Left 4 Dead. Over the course of five years, he formed a team, and they were hard at work making this game. They even reached out to Grant Kirkhope himself and got him to contribute a little bit to the game's soundtrack. And like ukulele before it, A Hat in Time far exceeded its funding goals and its stretch goals. Don't underestimate the hype for a genre that's long gone dormant. The game was only released in October of 2017, so... Some of the stretch goals, like the co-op mode, the two extra worlds, the new game plus, those haven't been added yet. A few of them have, but not all of them yet. The game has full voice acting, a hub level, and that Grant Kirkhope track that I mentioned, those were parts of the stretch goals, and they're all in the game. I've talked about the game's pedigree, the success story that came out of nowhere, and after five years, it triumphed where ukulele fell short, and then Mario Odyssey also triumphed. Let's go over the game itself now. When you start the game up, and during your entire time with it, you have the option to fiddle around in the game's option menus and tweak the game to your liking. You can change the frame rate, the graphics fidelity, camera controls, colorblind correctness, auto-saving. It goes a lot more in-depth with that kind of thing than a lot of games I've ever played. And you can do this at any time. On the title screen, in the middle of a level, in a cutscene when characters are talking, you always have access to these options, meaning that you can really customize the game to suit your needs whenever you want. It's a little lost on me, since I'm not as tech-savvy as most of my peers, but I think it's wonderful that the game lets you choose how you want it to be played. More games need to do things like that. 
As a platformer, this game borrows more from the Mario side of the spectrum as opposed to the Banjo side. You do collect things, but your goal is often more varied than simply grabbing shiny objects. While you do have 40 hourglasses to collect, and a bunch of other items, the game is about the fun you have along the way to grabbing these hourglasses. The main character, this adorable little tyke known as the Hat Kid, is... well, she's adorable! They gave her a lot of personality, even though she barely talks. She and all the characters in the game are all very colorful, all of them proudly acting like the Saturday morning cartoon characters they are in their hearts. The environments are all very distinct. No area in the game could be mistaken for another. Each one goes for its own aesthetic. Sometimes, even within the same world, you'll have different cordoned off sections that have their own unique atmospheres. The game is incredibly varied that way, and that goes to the gameplay, too. World 1 is kind of based around exploration. World 2 is about following certain objectives. World 3 kind of combines the two philosophies, where you're exploring, but you also have objectives to meet once you get to the designated point. Then World 4 throws it all out the window and just offers pure platforming. Not to say that the objectives in the Banjo games are really mindless, but Hat in Time really keeps the missions unique from each other in a way that even Mario hasn't managed to pull off. And the game is just fun to control. Hat Kid has a great range of movement. It just feels so good to put her through the game's obstacle courses, jumping around and playing with all her hats and badges. It's a blast! Whenever I talk about Breath of the Wild, I always talk about how I just want to focus on the task at hand. I don't want to do all the side things. I just want to get to the end. Because Link isn't fun to control. It's, it's just a chore keeping him alive. In this game, and Mario Odyssey, I realized that I do like getting sidetracked. I do like getting lost in the world and doing fun little things. But... The main character has to be fun to control, otherwise I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to do the bare minimum to get to the end of the line. Hat Kid and Mario... Odyssey's a good game, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Hat Kid is fun to control. All the controls feel right. I had fun doing all these little things as the Hat Kid gathering the different side items, seeing the set pieces and different little things that existed in the levels, looking for all the little secrets. You can really move around as easily as you want with your jumping, the double jump, the diving maneuver, canceling your diving maneuver, setting up different badge combinations and going around on your little motor scooter. Playing this game, a lot of things just felt right. They felt natural, and it just unlocked that childlike joy inside my bitter, crooked, adult heart. It made me feel like I was a kid again, playing Mario or Banjo on the Nintendo 64. It's honestly kind of something that I didn't really know I was missing until I was in the middle of it and watching other people playing it as well. I mean, I'm, I wasn't entirely a little kid again. I, I'm slightly better at video games than I was 15 years ago. Slightly. It's really a return to form that, you know, to repeat that phrase, return to form that 3D platforming really needed, and 
this game's success, along with Mario Odyssey's success, it really gives me hope for the future of the genre. Maybe we really can do a modern 3D platformer game. We don't have to be restricted to the flaws of the past. We can evolve the genre and keep it going. It kind of reminds me of Sonic Colors in a way. Before that game, a lot of people were convinced that 3D Sonic just couldn't be done. Every 3D Sonic game either aged poorly or it had too many distracting or bad features. But then Sonic Colors came out and a lot of people actually liked it. And it was because it tweaked on the parts of Sonic Unleashed that people really liked. And people were hopeful for Sonic again. Sonic Generations came out not long after that and people liked that. Sonic looked like he finally hit his stride. They showed us that 3D Sonic games could work. Hopefully, 3D platformer games won't keep following Sonic's example because Lost World and Forces are not as great. Well, I only really know that about Lost World. I still need to play Forces for myself, but I'm getting sidetracked here. What I'm saying is this success story kind of reminds me of Sonic Colors, and I'm really hoping it's not a fluke and that Gears for Breakfast really know what they're doing and they can really keep making games like this. While A Hat in Time might borrow from platformers of days past, it really has an identity all its own. With the game's sense of humor, the gameplay, and the mission variety, the streamlined collectibles, the different hat abilities, it's really hard for me to compare it to any existing game. Gears for Breakfast really did just take the best parts of all the older games and put them together into something new. It feels too distinct from Mario, even if I say that it's more like Mario than Banjo, it's still its own thing. I, I can't fairly say that, oh yeah, it's a Mario game. The game does have a few references, of course, but they're all handled really tastefully. Well, actually, before I go any further, I should say that these references are just kind of inferred on my part. I'm not sure if they were actually intended by the developers, but they're the connections that I made, and I've seen a few other people make similar ones, so we're just going to roll with them for now. Anyway, references. The time rifts in A Hat in Time, they're these platformer challenges that take place in these weird void spaces, a lot like the secret levels in Mario Sunshine, to the point where they even have platforms shaped like some of the platformers from the Sunshine Obstacle Courses. Then there's this character, a fan favorite, the Snatcher. He feels like a big reference to the cursed treasure chest ghosts in Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door, from the way he looks, being a big purple ghost with a yellow spooky face, or how silly he is, or even the scene where he first introduces himself to you, it all feels like the treasure chest scenes from those games where the big spooky ghost would come out and curse Mario, only the curses would actually be beneficial. Snatcher is decidedly less benevolent, but... I still feel like they were going for that kind of vibe, and I believe I saw a tweet from the development team that joked about being a spiritual successor to Paper Mario, so maybe that was what they were going for. Not to mention, the Snatcher himself kind of looks like a Luigi's Mansion ghost. So they crossbred a Luigi's Mansion ghost with a treasure chest ghost from Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, I guess. 
getting away from Mario for a bit, there's the windmill and area in World 4. The music is a little reminiscent of the Song of Storms from Zelda Ocarina of Time, which is associated with that game's windmill. It kind of sounds like a similar rhythm to it. The da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It sounds like they kind of took the same notes and made a bit of a different song with the same ones. I don't know if that's exactly how it went, but there will be time to talk about the music. Don't worry. As I said, though, the game's references are very tactfully done. It's not obnoxious. It's not like a neon sign that goes, Hey, remember this other game? It's very happy to be its own game, but remind you of what other games might have influenced it. So, I kept mentioning Super Mario Odyssey earlier, because A Hat in Time and Super Mario Odyssey are both games from late 2017, appearing to revitalize the 3D platformer genre, both of them being a lot better about it than ukulele. And I guess the million-dollar question at this point, since I've now played both games, is... Whether or not I prefer this game or Super Mario Odyssey. And the answer? I actually prefer A Hat in Time. Slightly. I prefer it slightly. Both games are excellent at what they do, but Hat in Time feels a bit more personal, and for me that goes a long way. Even though Mario is my favorite game series, and Odyssey is one of Mario's biggest games to date, You kind of expect that from a Mario game, you know? You expect a Mario game to be good. And while the game had its stunning set pieces and vistas and inventive boss battles, Odyssey could be boiled down to a pretty repetitive experience. Hat in Time came out of nowhere, so its rookie success speaks louder to me. And then there's its distinct identity that I keep mentioning. That makes it stand out even more. Not to mention the unique objectives. Odyssey's all about getting those moons, and a lot of the moons are the same thing, but in a different setting. Sure, you go to a lot of different places, and you have challenges that are unique to the new kingdoms, but a lot of them are recycled from past kingdoms. How many moons do you get in Odyssey by impressing the Lady Goomba with a tower of male Goombas? How many moons in Odyssey do you get by playing slot machines? How many do you get by taking the Koopa Race Challenge? You know, it's kind of repetitive. But that's not the case in A Hat in Time. A lot of the success for, you know, completing the challenges, yeah, they're all the hourglasses, but you do different things to get there. You have to solve a murder mystery. You get to compete in a parade. You have to infiltrate a spooky ghost lady's mansion. All of these are different things, and none of them are ever repeated. All of that just makes A Hat in Time stand out as the better game overall. Slightly, though. I don't want people to think that I'm trash-talking Super Mario Odyssey, because I thought that was an excellent game. You know, just... The callbacks to childhood, it can't be beat. Mario Odyssey didn't really invoke that feeling in me, but Hat in Time, it did. Before I get to today's favorite songs, I want to tell you a little more about the soundtrack overall. 
Well, I mentioned Grant Kirkhope's involvement, and I could sing his praises all afternoon if I really wanted to. The real MVP was Pascal Michael Stifel. Kirkhope only composed uh, one or two tracks, I believe, the notable one being Her Spaceship, which is the music for the hub level of the game. And it sounds like a Kirkhope piece. Perfectly captures the feeling of exploring a small child's headquarters. Sadly, the track isn't available on the soundtrack, but what can you do? Other artists were brought in to do remixes of different songs in the game, and they're pretty impressive, though I I tend to prefer Stifle's compositions. I believe they recently announced that they're releasing the B-side soundtrack, which mostly consists of little jingles and remixes that weren't in the game. They were also done by other composers, much like the remixes that were featured in the game. With all that out of the way, let's get to today's favorite songs. The first one, and I know the name of this one can turn you off, but the first favorite song is called Toilet of Doom. A monstrous-sounding theme for perhaps the most unpleasant boss fight in the game. You're fighting a possessed outhouse. And the song gets strangely heroic in the middle, transitioning into a rendition of the game's main theme and... There's even some harmonica stuff going on, and when you listen to it in the game, there's also fireworks and stuff. It's really just overwhelming with how exciting it can get. I feel like it's overlooked compared to another boss theme called Your Contract Has Expired, and that one is excellent on its own, but I really prefer Toilet of Doom over, well... It's kind of like my opinion on Mario Odyssey. I slightly prefer Toilet of Doom. But if I could be honest, every boss theme in this game is great. Every one of them. Eh, maybe Barrel Battle is a little underwhelming compared to the rest, but it's not supposed to be as good as the rest. It's supposed to be kind of an appetizer, you know? Second favorite would be Clock Towers Beneath the Sea for just how darned relaxing it is. It sounds like the beginning of an RPG, or maybe a Pixar movie, and if you listen closely, maybe if you listen with headphones, you can hear whales. You know, the woo, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. It plays during the time rift stages, and those obstacle courses that have weird platforming challenges have this relaxing music to go along with it. I feel like that kind of helps dilute the frustration that you might start to feel. There's a version of the song that plays when the hat kid is riding her scooter, but it's a little less relaxing, I think. Lastly, I'm gonna pick the main theme itself. Despite the name, it only ever plays at the credits. Seeing the credits roll, watching the hat kid run past everyone she's ever met, and kind of a summary of the whole game, it just felt like a cathartic release after everything the game put me through. I finally see it all to the end, and just remember everything that happened. It kind of reminds me of childhood itself in a cheesy kind of way. That's what the game does to me, it just makes me feel all cheesy inside. The song just kind of gives me hope for A Hat in Time becoming a classic, maybe a game that some kid right now can look back fondly on in 20 years and they'll smile about it. The game is still new, and there's more content on the way. We don't know when, but there will be some more content. 
You like how I end the sentence halfway through so that every next word sounds like the new end of the sentence? Ugh. A Hat in Time could hold its own on a list of my top 20 games. Maybe top 15. It's a game that I didn't even know I needed at first. To be fair, there could be some recency bias at play, so I might not feel as strongly about it after some more time passes. But right now, I love the game. You can play it for yourself, it's on Steam, and it's also available for the PlayStation 4. Sadly, they did not see fit to make a version for the Switch, as natural a fit as it might have seemed, but, you know, it's their game, it's their decision, and you know what? I still got a chance to play it, so I'm not too sad about it. Steam is pretty accessible. Cheers to Jonas Karlov and everyone else at Gears for Breakfast, and to Grant Kirkhope, and to all the friends who made it possible for me to get the game. I've been the Axe Man, and if you liked the BitCast, please consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. The show's also available on iTunes, so you can download it and listen to it over and over again, like a favorite record or something. In the meanwhile, I'll see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.